A good morning to you. It's uh, wonderful to see you. It's great that there's so many of us here as well this morning. I'm really, uh, really delighted to see you all, especially on such a cold Sunday morning. Um, hopefully you're warmed up now. But, um, and I, I trust that your, your year has started well. Um, so if you remember, if you were around last week, um, Richard uh, kicked us off, didn't he, on our new um, series of preaching, uh, which is going through uh, the book of John. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited uh, about the prospect of going through this book. Uh, I really believe that we're going to meet Jesus uh, in powerful ways as we go through this book. Um, And obviously we want to really get into the book, we want to learn, we want to study it, we want to get lots out of it, we want to understand the revelation. Um, But I'm really challenged as well that it's not just about um, the information, it's not just about learning about the text and understanding it, but it's about transformation as well. It's about Jesus doing something in us as we meet him in this book in in a dynamic way. Um, and I, I don't know if you know that, that John is slightly different, really, from the, from the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, the book of John, it focuses more on, on who Jesus was. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are referred to a little bit more of the kind of historical uh, perspective. Uh, but John really gets to the crux of who Jesus was. It, Um, just unveil some of the mystery uh, in the book of John. And I really believe, as the Holy Spirit Spirit works in us, that we're going to meet Jesus in a powerful way uh, through this book. I'm quite glad that uh, Richard took uh, last week, chapter 1, such an amazing chapter, so much in there. I think I would have been a bit daunted. Where do you go with that? There's so much in there. But he did an amazing job, didn't he, of taking us through uh, that first chapter, um, talking about Jesus being the light. Um, and his light come into our life and bringing the life of Jesus in us. Um, and we're going to follow on from that um, today, um, going into uh, chapter 2. Um, and the aspect that I want to focus on in chapter 2 um, is the first miracle uh, that Jesus performed, or as John refers to it, the first sign um, when Jesus turns water into wine. And I know this might be a story that's really familiar to us. We've heard it loads of times before. Uh, but I really believe that there's going to be something we can we can encounter something we new we can take out of this um, as we look at this, um, this account together. Um, so I'd just like to just pray as we, uh, before we, we read this passage together and talk about it. Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning, Lord God, um, that we would encounter you. That we would see you, Lord God, um, in the Bible, Lord God, in the words that I speak, Lord God, that something of who you are, Lord God, would be revealed to us this morning, Father. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would do a work in us, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't just learn things this morning, but that we'd encounter you, we'd meet you. Lord God, you'd, your transformative power, Holy Spirit, would work in us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles or your phone or whatever device you want, if you want to follow with me, um, we're going to go through chapter 2. Uh, from verses 1 to 11 in the book of John. So, chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish uh, rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, 
Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, the water had now become wine, and he did not know where it had come from. Though the servants who drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when pe- people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. So, as I said, you're probably quite familiar with this story, but we're going to look at it. And I thought it'd be great to just ask a couple of questions of myself as I was beginning to look uh, at this account. So the, the questions that I was thinking about were, uh, what does this pas- passage show us about who Jesus was? Uh, and what does Jesus' first public miracle say? What does this sign kind of reveal? Um, because surely there must be something significant in this. This is the first public miracle, uh, the first sign that Jesus would do uh, that would reveal something of, of his glorious nature, of who he was, of the fact he was God. Um, so when I was thinking about this miracle, thinking, what does it represent? What is it? The kind of, I don't know if it's just me, perhaps because I'm an engineer as well as a pastor, and you just see things the way they are and just look it straight at it. And the word that came to mind as I was praying about this passage uh, was this simple word, transformation. Because that's what happens, doesn't it? Transformation. That's the word that came to mind. So trans to change and formation to change form. You know that Jesus, he is Lord of transformation, isn't he? He's Lord of transformation. That's what he came for. It might not be the why. I think the why kind of skips over into chapter 3 of John uh, for probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's why he came, because of his wonderful love. But what he came for, he came to bring about transformation, didn't he? 2,000 years ago, when he conquered sin and death on the cross, he brought about the most amazing transformation ever. When he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, an amazing transformation took place in our world. And he continues to transform today, doesn't he? Across the world, millions of people's lives have been transformed every day by Jesus. And that's something that I want to explore, I want to look at with us um, today. Um, You know, verse 11 uh, in this passage, it kind of indicates to us the importance, the significance of this event. Um, It says... Uh, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which Jesus would reveal his glory and his disciples believed in him. So part of the purpose of this act, part of the purpose of what he did was to reveal the glory of God. And that's what this gospel is all about. It's about us seeing him, about us seeing his glory. And we heard the same truth a little bit last week uh, from Richard when he spoke on John 1 in that verse 14 where it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I believe that when we look at this account, when we look at we can see something of the glory of God. But I think in the sign as well, in how he did it, there's quite a bit for us to learn, to explore. Um, so I just want to look at some of the, the ways that Jesus performed this miracle, some of the things he said. Um, so the first thing I'd just like to take a look at was that response. So Jesus, uh, Mary said to Jesus, um, there is no more wine. And what was his response? His response was, my hour has not yet come. So I was trying to think a little bit, what, what was he referring to? What was he trying to say in this response? My hour has not yet come. 
Um, and then looking through John, we see this kind of same statement coming up quite a few times. So John 7.30, he says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. John 8.20, No one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. John 12.27, Now is my soul troubled, and what can I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. And then finally, uh, John 12, 23 and 24. The hour of the Son of Man, um, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So I think what Jesus is perhaps saying when he says, my hour has not yet come, is referring to it as death. We see that in all those references there, it refers to his death being in the hour coming but perhaps what he is saying is um, it's not the time for me to die to be glorified in that way but I'll give you a sign of my death I'll act out a parable something that will point towards my death point towards who I am so I'm just going to look at a few aspects uh, of this miracle and consider them so the first thing um, just I think for us to take note of is is what Jesus used what um, Jesus directed the servants to And that was six stone jars uh, that were used for this miracle. And we read that they were jars that we use for ceremonial washing. So it's interesting, isn't it, that that Jesus maybe didn't kind of direct them to grab like an empty bottle or just a standard jug or something like that. He directed them to use these jars that would have been used for purification. Um, There was something that were linked with the Old Testament, um, linked with a, a means of purification. Um, So perhaps what Jesus is saying here, what he's indicating, that he came to replace that old means of purification, that he will bring about a better covenant, a better way, that he will bring about a promise of salvation based upon grace, that he would fulfill the law, that he would supersede the old means of purification. And also, obviously significant um, in this um, miracle um, is wine as well. You know, wine was what the water was um, transformed into. Um, and here, you know, it was, wine was being drunk in the context of celebration. It was a wedding. People were celebrating the event of um, a man and woman coming together uh, and being married. So, you know, here we see the symbol of wine representing um, blessing, salvation, grace and joy. Um, and that's what Jesus represents. That's what Jesus is showing. That he was the bringer of joy. He's the bringer of life, of truth, of grace. Um, and in an event where you know, the wine ran out, um, the wine that represents joy, it can run out when our joy is based upon worldly things. You know, when our joy is based upon perhaps material possessions or a nice lifestyle or, you know, upon worldly pleasures, those can run out like the the wine ran out in this wedding. But the wine of Jesus, the wine of his spirit, his joy doesn't run out, does it? His joy is everlasting. His joy is eternal. And, you know, finally as well, what what was the event that took place here? What event was this at? It was at uh, a wedding. I think that's, that's quite significant as well. You know, on that day, um, you know, for the bride and groom, they were the hosts. Um, it was a huge day. I think even like today, you know, weddings are a massive event, aren't they? The bride and groom have made all the preparations and the wine ran out. 
well, how would have that reflected on the family um, if they've had to say, sorry everybody, we're going to have to um, have water for the rest of the, of the party. It wouldn't have felt much like a party, I don't think, would it? Particularly in that culture where that's what they drank, that was the, the drink of celebration. Not necessarily because it was filled with lots of alcohol, because apparently it would have been diluted down with water anyway, so it wouldn't have been particularly strong. But it would have brought um, you know, great shame upon that family, wouldn't it, if the wine had run out. But Jesus saw a need. Jesus stepped in and he saved the, um, um, the situation. He saved their reputations that day. And um, just a, a link again with the fact that this event um, took place at a wedding. Um, it's interesting that um, the last thing that John the Baptist um, spoke about was a bride and groom. Uh, and this verse is actually one that we started off the meeting with today. Uh, Rian referred to this, although I hadn't told her that I, I would be uh, sharing this. Um, this is what John the Baptist says again um, in John 3, 29 uh, and 30. He says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So the last thing that John says um, in the Gospel of John um, is he is the, um, the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. Um, and in this, this wedding, this uh, wedding event, the bridegroom, he kind of made a bit of a booby, didn't he, really? He failed at the, one of the first hurdles. He let the wine run out. And like every single husband We all fail at some point, don't we? We all mess up. I know that of myself. Certainly, I mess up at various points. I fail as a a human um, husband. But Jesus, he was the perfect bridegroom, wasn't he? Jesus was the bridegroom who would always provide. Jesus was the all-providing bridegroom. And I believe there's something in that for us as well, that we must decrease, he must increase. He must increase in us. He must be the one that transforms us. So just to summarize some of the things that are looked at there in, in this passage. Uh, first was the actual transformation itself uh, of water into wine and the very best wine as well. That being a symbol of life and salvation and blessing. And also the fact that Jesus used these stone jars that would have normally been used uh, in the Jewish rite of uh, purification. And the fact that he would replace that. Uh, and finally, that it took place at a wedding. Um, where the bridegroom falls short, he messes up, uh, but Jesus is the perfect bridegroom. He's the one who will provide. So now after looking at some of the symbols and some of the significance in this event, I want to go back to just where I started off and and what I see in this this miracle, and that is transformation. You know, by responding to Jesus' command... Uh, these servants who responded, they got to observe, they got to take part in a transformative miracle taking place. You know, one substance went into those stone jars, just ordinary water, and somehow, miraculously, a molecular transformation took place, didn't it? We see that wine came out of them, and no ordinary wine, the very best wine. You know, when we respond to the call of Jesus on our life, a life-altering transformation takes place. Something in us fundamentally changes. Yes, we remain the same person, we have the same DNA, but something significant takes place. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 
And when I was thinking about um, the sign, this kind of transformation, I was thinking about perhaps some metaphors that we see uh, in nature. Uh, and the word kind of transformation, um, if you want to use the technical word, uh, metamorphosis, we kind of associate that with kind of maybe changes in nature, don't we? And that's like the Greek word that we do see coming up a couple of times um, in the Bible, and I'll refer to that a little bit later. So I started thinking about some of the, the things we see in nature. Uh, and one transformation that came to mind uh, that we think about metamorphosis is uh, the changing of a, a cap- caterpillar, I can say it, caterpillar uh, into a butterfly. And I believe there's something in this image for us in terms of our transformation uh, from being in darkness into light, for coming to know Jesus. Now, something transformative takes place, doesn't it, when a caterpillar changes to a butterfly? It changes its destiny. It changes how it lives. It's no longer kind of crawling about on a leaf, but it reaches its destiny. It can fly. It's completely transformed. Uh, And I believe there's something in that for us when we become Christians. You know, we're filled with his spirit. We're filled with all that we need to live our lives. We have a new destiny. The way we live our lives every day has fundamentally changed because we're living in a relationship that God designed us for. We're living in a relationship with him. And I started thinking about perhaps some other um, symbols in nature of transformation. Um, and another one uh, I thought about um, was a symbol of a, or the transformation of a, a signet into a swan. Uh, now this one is, is quite different as well. Um, you know, a, a signet starts off maybe a little kind of grey uh, duckling. Uh, and it turns over a, a longer period into this... Um, glorious swan Um, and you know the day we are saved an amazing life transforming miracle takes place Uh, but God doesn't intend it to stop there does he? he intends it to be an ongoing walk of faith that will be transformed more into his likeness bit by bit each day and you know when you looked at when you look at that signet if you saw it each day growing up little bit by bit Sometimes I see them on the canal when I'm, I'm cycling down the canal. Uh, those little fluffy, quite cute signets. And if you saw it each day, you wouldn't really notice much of a difference. It looked the same, really. But then when you look over a longer period, if you saw it one day this year, and then you went back one day next year, you'd see a life-transforming difference. You'd see a huge difference. It would have started to turn into this glorious one. And what I'm trying to say is that our change takes place bit by bit. Even once we become, become a Christian, we're being changed, we're being molded, we're being transformed by Jesus, by his grace, by his work in us, by the Holy Spirit. And just because that, that change takes place bit by bit doesn't mean that it isn't uh, miraculous, doesn't mean that Jesus isn't at work in our lives. So, transformation. You might be thinking, well, now how does that take place in my life? How do I see that happen? Uh, and I believe there's, there's a key verse for us in this miracle, um, in verse 5. Um, how did that miracle take place? What did Mary instruct the servants to do? Anybody want to shout out? What, what was it that Mary said to the servants? Can anybody help me out with verse 5? Do whatever he tells you. I really believe there's something in that for us and seeing Jesus' life-transforming work. Do whatever he tells you. And that can be a tricky one, can't it? What does that mean? Do whatever he tells me. What, what is he telling me? 
We could interpret that, well, it's the things I hear when I just when I pray, and that's true. It's the things that God speaks to you. But I believe it's bigger than that. It's all that we hear and read in the Bible. It's Jesus' message to us. Because he wants to see life-transforming power at work within us. I believe it's about us running after him. It's about us knowing him. It's about us delighting him. And as I mentioned earlier, it's about what John the Baptist says. It's about him increasing in us. It's about us knowing him. It's about us following all that he has for us. And that means living holy lives. That means living lives running after him, loving him, wanting to know him more each and every day. And there are a couple of other verses I think give us keys to how we see transformation take place in our lives. Um, Romans 12.2. This is one of those ones that uses that word uh, metamorphosis from the Greek, transformation. So Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, transformation comes through renewing our mind. And what does that mean? That means fixing our mind on him. Fixing our mind on worthy things, on glorious things. Allowing the Holy Spirit to direct our thoughts. That every significant decision we make, that we'll bring it to him. It won't be, oh, this is what I want to do. This is my ambition. It'll actually be, there's a great opportunity. Jesus, is that the right thing for me to do? Is that where you want me to go? Is that what you want me to do? It's about him renewing our minds. And another verse that also refers to transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I believe if we want to be transformed, we need to direct our gaze towards him. We need to look upon him. We need to consider his glory, consider his greatness, consider his magnificence. And as we do that, we'll be changed. We'll be changed more into his likeness. We'll be made more, we'll receive more of his life. And I trust that's what we want. I trust that's what together we're going after. That's what discipleship's about, isn't it? And Richard mentioned last week that that's what we, this year we really want to go after. Discipleship and mission. Those are our focuses And discipleship, that's what that's about. It's about more of him being formed in us. About us being transformed more into his likeness. So you might be thinking, what does this practically mean for me? What does this practically mean? And I don't think I can answer that for you, personally. But I can tell you that Jesus will help you. That the Holy Spirit will help you. And I think one of the questions that that Richard posed at the end last week is probably a really poignant one for us to be thinking about praying into Uh, and the question was in what specific ways would you like to see more of jesus's life on display in your life so in what specific ways would you like to see more of jesus's life on display in your life i think that's a really good question for us all to be asking ourselves to be considering to be talking as well with other people about asking other people what do you think for you what's what's god challenging you on what do you need to change how do you want to be transformed and as i mentioned last week we've got a great opportunity to be talking about that in our huddle groups um so if you're not yet, not yet part of one of those then that's a great opportunity to be talking about that question or if you're struggling to make it to one of those groups then 
just be thinking about it. Take opportunity to talk to somebody, a trusted Christian friend, to say to them, can you ask me, ask me this question? Ask me on a regular basis to prompt me. And just by talking about it, I believe that's a significant part of discipleship, us um, you know, encouraging and challenging each other. So all of kind of uh, the transformation I've talked about so far has been about personal transformation. That is something important. But of course, I think there's another kind of transformation as well that we need to consider. And that's about the transformation around us. The transformation of people who are in our lives. The transformation um, of our world. You know, when we're made um, into new creations, when we're saved, we're given a mandate uh, and that's not just for us to be transformed, but to, to see transformation in the world. We are transformed to bring transformation, to bring transformation to the people around us, the people in our lives and the world around us. And that's not necessarily based on our own kind of wisdom, our own intellect, our own persuasion. It's based upon the fact that Jesus is in us, that his grace, that his spirit resides in us. And when we carry him into the world, we carry a life-transforming power. We carry a power that can see situations changed, sometimes in an instant. We can pray for that person at work who's not well. We can pray for that person down the street who need um, something for their children. We can pray into all kinds of situations and see Jesus' life-transforming power take place. And sometimes it happens in an instant. But other times... It happens by us spending time alongside people, bit by bit, day by day. And of course, you know, as a church community um, here in Withenshaw, we are called, aren't we, to bring transformation to this area. That's what we want to see. That's what we're passionate about, seeing transform, transformation in this area, seeing people saved, seeing people to come to know Jesus, seeing miracles, seeing people restored in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, we want to dream big. We want to hear God and what he's saying about our local community because he loves every single person. He loves them and he wants them to come into the fullness of knowing him. And, and we recognize that we can't do that out of our own power, that we need to pray. And Rian referred to this earlier um, in the notices. She talked about the fact that we want to come together to pray. We really believe that is so important, that we come to God and ask him to move that we cry out to him and ask him to move in Withenshaw, ask him to move in people's lives. So just an encouragement again, um, that's gonna be, it's going to be two weeks on Monday. That's a great opportunity for us to come together, to pray, to see God move in mighty ways, to see him move in miraculous ways. Because I'm sure for every single person here, you've got people in your life that you're just thinking, I would love for this person to know Jesus. This person needs to know Jesus. This person needs a move of God in their life. So we're going to pray. You know, and we really believe that we can see Withenshaw change. We can see something dramatic take place. We can see his life-transforming power in this area. Because only he can bring what people need. Only he can bring the hope, the purpose, the truth that he can bring. So we want to pray. We want to see him move. So this year, we really want to go after those two things. We want to go after discipleship, being transformed in ourselves. And we can do that by 
by looking at his word, by challenging each other, by growing together. And we can do that by sharing it as well, by sharing it with others. We want to see a mission take place. Now, mission isn't just all across the world. Mission is our next-door neighbours. Mission is our schools, our workplaces, our streets. Because Jesus is at work. He's powerful. He's wonderful. He is mighty. And I just want to pray right now. I just want to pray for all that I shared this morning. um, That we will see transformation. Lord God, I thank you for this account of you turning water into wine, you doing something amazing, miraculous and beautiful, Lord God. And I just pray that we would see your glory in this act, Lord. I just pray that we would turn our gaze towards you, that we would come to know you more, Lord God. And as we see you in your glory, God, I just pray that your life-transforming power would be at work within us, Father. The Holy Spirit, you would be at work within us because we want to be changed to be more like you. We recognize that we need you, Lord God. We want to be changed more into your likeness together as a community. We want to reflect you. We want to reflect your beauty. We want to shine your light where we are, Lord God. We want to shine your light upon within your God. And God, we want to come and pray as well and ask Your transforming power would be at work in this area, Lord God. Lord God, give us strategies, give us ways, Lord God, give us insights, Father. But we pray that people would come to know you, Lord Jesus. We're hungry that people would come to know you, that they would meet you, that they would encounter you. They would see you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.